Hey, what's going on, guys? It's just after 4 p.m. New York time. We'll get started in a second. Thank you for joining my call-in. Been doing these consistently now, which is good. We'll get started in a minute. I just shared another link. Hopefully everyone's doing well. It's Saturday, so normally I do these on, it seems like my schedule has been uh, doing these on Fridays, um, but I had a change of plans this week. Had to reschedule, um, had to reschedule again today. And then I was honestly going to reschedule again. And it sounds terrible, but uh, I had um, an emergency. My One of my nieces, she came down with a really high fever, like 105. So um, as a good aunt and uncle, we had all of the other kids over while uh, her parents uh, took her to the, uh, to the doctor. So anyway, thanks for, thanks for signing in. Um, just as a reminder, guys, before we get started, uh, none of this is financial advice. You know, nothing that we talk about is financial advice. This is Strictly for entertainment purposes only. We'll try to keep it as entertaining as possible. I know market stuff can get kind of drab sometimes, but we've had some exciting conditions. So that is always good. Uh, when we're in a low vol period, there's really not a whole lot to talk about, right? So I do like to say that, you know, this uh, this call-in, right? So again, thanks to the sponsors at call-in who now have, are providing access to not only iPhone users, uh, but to Android users. And this is also available online. Um, I've said, you know, we could talk about anything, right? So this is basically going to be, you know, I'm going to touch on a few points and then it's like an AMA or, you know, you hop on and talk about what you want to talk about. We go back and forth. I don't like to talk about religion, obviously. and I don't like to talk about politics, but everything else outside of that um, is fair game. All right. So for those of you that are joining for the first time, although I don't think that that's that's probably not likely, right? Because most of you are coming in from my Twitter. But if anyone's joining in for the first time, uh, my name is Ryan, also known as Cantor and Clark on Twitter. So the Twitter is attached to the profile. So for any of you who are not familiar with me, you can go ahead on Twitter and uh, see what I'm all about. All right. So introduction aside, <clears throat> talk about a few things, right? So touch on a few topics. Um, it's been a good week. It's been, um, you know, for the last, looks like in the last two weeks, we've been in a sustained uptrend, but now we're at a a critical area, right? So, you know, I've described these kind of locations um, as key contextual levels, high participation zones, you know, areas where, um, you know, we've had significant activity in the past, significant turning points in market structure. Uh, and I call them, a, I call this, for example, a key contextual level because we've been in now since basically for the entire year, right? So this year to date, so the first quarter, we've been within a range, right? So we've been within a range that is basically capped out around you know, roughly 45K. Um, and in December, what is now acting as resistance was for many assumed to be ultimately the um, the bottom. So, you know, returning back to this level back in January and February and even March early on, um, there was a significant amount of supply to overcome. As you can imagine, when the market looks like it's bottoming and then that level is lost, 
returning back to that level is going to leave some kind of overhead resistance as traders and investors and you know people that have gotten reinvolved in that location from the highs um, are are able to if they haven't already sort of capitulated they're able to split and reevaluate basically by by getting back to break even so this level has been interacted with now this is the this will be the this will be basically the fifth time if you consider January's retest, which was which was pretty immediate. So within the week after breaking down, we had a retest. Uh, and then we spent, you know, time at the lows right around 34. February again, we came back and we kind of double tapped it, tapped it again at the beginning of March. Uh, so this is really now, this is our, our fifth interaction with this level. And this is a key contextual level because this is current context is we are in, just a reminder to zoom out, we are in a one year long, basically a one year long range. So, you know, the, the lows of 30K up to the highs of you know, just under 70K and then more locally in the last quarter within a range as well. So it's always important to understand what kind of trading environment you're in. Um, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you're trying to play a trending, you know, where you're looking to, to place trades based on a trending market when you're really still stuck within a ranging market. So this is the level where that ultimately changes them, right? If we're able to break to the upside, you know, this would be a pivotal shift in market structure. And I say that it's a key contextual level because honestly, this is governing the range that we're currently in as the significant high. So not for nothing, just to be as objective as possible. This is arguably a better level to short just from a sort of textbook approach because you could define your risk a lot more locally, right? So we're closer to resistance. We're far away from any area that would be deemed significant support. You know, you'd have to go back down to around the 40K handle, uh, which is this year's VWAP, quarterly VWAP. It's kind of the midpoint of the range. So we're far closer to resistance than anything that could be, again, identified as support. Uh, we really haven't built, honestly have not built much of what you would say is a base under us unless you're looking at the entire quarter. But for this local move for the last two weeks, it's kind of just been a you know, one-way trip up. Um, so if you're short, I can understand that, right? Because your invalidation is very close. You could say, you know, I'm gonna short and the anticipation the price is gonna continue to range. We're in a range-bound environment. My invalidation is 46 because I know if we're holding 46, you know, the game has significantly changed. So I understand that, right? And this is, again, it is a key contextual level, a inflection point, higher participation zone, most importantly, because what is likely is that you have, you know, when you're in a ranging environment, whether it's a 15-minute range or a five-month range, and the longer the better, um, if you've been funneling like we have, so funneling implying that you know, there are marginally higher lows and marginally lower highs within the structure, and you have not interacted with any of the more recent swing highs or swing lows, if you're in that kind of structure, what that allows for is a, it allows for an accumulation of stops on both sides of the range, right? So more locally, going back to March 1st, March 2nd, you know, that swing high that took us up to 45, that high did not pierce the prior high that was around February 9th, February 10th. So you have a cluster of stops that could define that original high, and you have a cluster of stops that were able to follow sort of within that structure even tighter. Uh, and then also the same story sort of falls for the bottom where you have, you know, three very clear lows that are higher than each other. 
um, in succession. So this level will be not for nothing, probably an ugly one to short though, because if you did short it, it's not like things happen as they should in a textbook, right? This is not, you know, occurring where, you know, for example, your invalidation might look attractive because it's really close, but the chances of you getting out at that level are probably very slim because of the amount of stops and the amount of participation that will come through the zone. Meaning, break above 46, it's very likely that you'll create a cascading sort of domino effect of the stops that are above this range. And then not only that, you'll have momentum traders and, and sort of this FOMOing behavior get behind the move. So it's it's not necessarily the case you'd be getting out a clean cut, right? You'd be probably slipping considerably depending on you know, what size you trade with. Um, so we're in a, a, a very critical area. I mean, I understand if anyone is, it, it, it makes sense. I, I said this earlier, if you have been long and you have not considered de-risking some, it's kind of like you are not trading with proper risk management to begin with, right? It makes sense in this zone to expect that it will act as resistance because it's all it's done in the past. Now we have obviously some other things to look at just besides market structure that help us build you know, confidence. We have, you know, equities that have ripped off the lows, um, showing continued signs of strength. It looked like they lost the 200-day temporarily, but then they reclaimed it. So the 200-day, as I've said before, this is sort of a systematic CTA trend followers line in the sand. Um, and what that means is, you know, above it and below it, you're going to have CTAs, which represent a significant amount of flows in equity markets, de-risking, all right, and putting risk back on. Uh, and you see that if you look at overall levels of liquidity in the S&P, when you're below the 200, when you're above it, there's sort of a stark difference uh, in market depth. So we're back above that now, which is a you know very strong sign by the market. Uh, but we also have you know some other sort of you know more negative signs of feedback. You have the bond market that is just uh, getting eviscerated, right? Um, so equities are back up, uh, and not for nothing, equities are back up. Right. And risk is moving up in the face of what has been only negative information. Right. So everything that the market could have thrown at it besides the kitchen sink has been thrown at it. Um, and this is ultimately what you want to pay attention to. Right. What the market is doing. Right. Or what the market rather isn't doing that it should be doing. So, you know, negative information, negative news. The market is moving up against that. It's telling you something. Right? It's not. At that point, it doesn't matter what the actual news is, unless there's something that's sort of cataclysmic, right? That you know you you ultimately wouldn't want to fade. But there's a reason why things are called black swans because you you don't necessarily you can't really plan for them, right? I mean, you could try to, but you only mitigate it to a certain degree. Um, so we're seeing sort of a positive. There are positive tailwinds right now for crypto, uh, but the correlation has still been pretty strong. So this does make you. I I, I could understand how this would and even myself included, um, makes me a little bit cautious, right? Because equities did have a very significant bounce. Um, but again, you know, there's reason to believe that it won't just be a one-way trip up back to the all-time high. So we have some alt outperforming. So I think that that's worth mentioning. Um, specifically within the metaverse, right? One of the more significant pieces of news in the last week and a half has been the change of Goldman Sachs homepage. This is a homepage. This is not like you have to click on a, you know, uh, a tab and then get taken to some, you know, back corner of their website. This is their homepage. This is their homepage referencing digital assets. I don't know what the specific language is used, but it's digital assets it's to the effect of crypto and digital assets. So 
just consider this, all right, with, you know, in the face of the fact that over a year ago, you know, maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was two years ago, um, doesn't really matter, right? The, the language and the tone and the reception by Goldman Sachs and a lot of other major investment banks, uh, a lot of bulge bracket banks was, you know, it was vitriol, right? It was not embracing crypto, it was not getting behind it. It was the diametric opposite of that. So this is not something that's like, oh, you know, they're here, like we're going to sell them our bags now. That's a really dumb approach. Like crypto is very young. I've said, said this many times before, you need to think of it as your, if your long-term, th your long-term thesis for crypto should be really simple actually, because one, the youth and hearth years, right? So they're taking everything that they like with them. Okay. They're Tamagotchis and they're crypto. Um, so not the Tamagotchis, right? Um, and then not for nothing, crypto is, uh, there goes not for nothing. I say not for nothing. So I, I, I people have a, a counter on some of my live streams. I, I, I get redundant with certain phrases. So there goes the not for nothing. I think that was the first one. Um, but what was I saying now? Uh, Goldman Sachs, um, there's another point that I wanted to hit on. Crypto is very young. So there's no one who's alive, and I've said this frequently, there's no one who is alive right now who is around at the birth of any asset class, except for crypto, right? So commodities, real estate, equities, you name it, right? Um, so it, it's very simple to be long-term bullish on crypto. So this is not something you fade, right? These are the kind of participants, participants that we want to come in. We want them to add crypto to their long-only funds, their pension funds, their sovereign wealth funds, um, whatever it is, right? Because they have a different approach to markets, especially if they are, you know, your passive types that just rebalance, accumulate, rebalance, accumulate, um, and, and try to maintain long exposure to the asset class. Uh, so there's a couple other things worth touching on. The Luna TWAP, um, you know, this is Doquan. Seems like a guy with a lot of money and a big ego. And it almost seems like he doesn't necessarily care about the cost of his transactions, right? So, you know, using a TWAP for one is not a very efficient method to get into position. Um, this is not, I mean, it, it is in crypto, but it's not something that's popular in legacy markets and more prone to use icebergs. But in crypto, you know, it's, it is the method that's used to accumulate larger positions. It doesn't have, it's not as advertised as, you know, placing a large uh, limit order in the book. Um, you know, it's a very gradual process. It can be sped up, obviously, you can change your interval. But if there's nothing to OTC, then, you know, the, the risk is sourced to trading desks, which go to exchanges and then operate using a TWAP, which is a time-weighted average price algo. So Doquan has been buying BTC. And this is all, you could see this actually, how much he has bought. So he's bought 24,954 BTC so far. So that's $1.1 billion worth of Bitcoin. Um, it is not the case. It was the first time it worked where, you know, there was a test transaction sent and, you know, when the test transaction was sent, um, shortly thereafter, Bitcoin pumped tremendously. You see in the times that follow, there was test transactions sent to the, to the wallet at Binance. There's this jumps wallet. Uh, and then there was a small market response. They're not, make no mistake, they, they know what they're doing when it comes to execution. They are not allowing people to just front run them. Um, this is likely that, you know, it's likely the case that, this, these deals are already taken care of, and now the funds are just basically being settled. Um, and it is all public because it is, again, it's on the blockchain. So isn't that fantastic? Other things to touch on, and then I'll open it up. 
um, Yellen warming up to crypto. And it's not necessarily that it's, you know, something that she said that was extremely positive, but just a, a slight change in tone. Uh, I think that the only person that's going to stand out um, and, and probably stands out to her peers in more ways than one is uh, Senator Warren. And I think that the way that we sort of find her laughable, although it's it's not necessarily laughable because she is a significant entity in the government, uh, I feel like her peers sort of scoff and, and look at her in a, in a similar light. So I don't necessarily think that we have to worry about her. I think that she's kind of a joke. Um, as far as just specifics with BTC, you know, the positives, the basis is showing no real change. So we're still see seeing that there is really no froth uh, in the derivatives market. So on the low timeframes, there's like small signs of absorption, you know, for the first time in the last couple of days, futures are, are buying a little bit more than spot, but it's, it is, it's only important if you're very zoomed in and you're trading the very low timeframes, uh, you know, you're trading intraday. Otherwise, when you zoom out in aggregate, it's a market that is spot driven um, and has not shown signs of overheating yet. Uh, and, you know, this is obviously very positive because usually that is what ultimately caps off um, the extent of any kind of rallies when derivatives take over and try to do most of the lifting and the spot market isn't there to support. What we have seen is that market depth has increased to the upside. So there's a little bit more ask pressure, offer pressure, or just sell pressure that's latent, that uh, is an advertisement. But you know, it hasn't transacted, so it's just there. It is sticky. It does, it is, you know, technically friction if we were going to try to pass through it and there was no adjustment. Um, more specifically, there is quite a significant wall that shows up, has shown up on Bifinex. Uh, and this looks like the same fingerprint uh, or footprint, you know, participant um, that was trading the lows. Uh, and it filled a significant position. So, I mean, you could look at that and say that maybe it's psyops, maybe they're trying to push the market down. Um, but you could also look at it and think, well, if this is the same entity at the lows, uh, they got filled. And we haven't even really tapped in to the asks at all above us, right? So the offer, the wall there. Um, and that wall, to be specific, is that wall is from, I'll just pull it up right now and then I'll open up the chat. Um, that wall is just above us, right around 45, and it goes all the way up to 48. So the way I would look at it is, you know, that similar presence was also at the lows, right? Um, I, I would assume that if this is not complete psyops, that they plan on getting filled and that you could almost look at this as having a very high probability of at least getting to the halfway point, right? So for price touching around 47, you know, 46.5, um, where it really be, it begins to thin out a little bit more. I'm not necessarily worried about it. Um, if it's an advertisement to keep us a little bit more suppressed, that's one thing. Uh, if it's actually an entity that's looking to get filled, that's positive, right? Because that implies that we have much further up to go. Um, but I, that'll be it. I'll, I'll open it up, uh, allow you guys to hop on, ask questions, um, you know, shoot the shit, so to speak. So the first person wants to hop on, be my guest. And in the time that we were talking, Bitcoin doing a little bit of pushing. So we are at 44.682. And looks like Binance, FTX, both doing a good amount of buying. So this is good, right? 
this, the trouble with this kind of structure is that it's it is very it's narrowing as we're moving up. So the trouble with that is the same trouble for anyone who is short at the highs, where any kind of interruption of any local low is going to likely lead to the next low, and you could imagine how that kind of cascades. I saw someone who just popped up, but they disappeared. So uh, feel free to pop back on. Now make no mistake, if you know Doquan who's been um, sort of uh, crypto folklore recently, not folklore because it's, you know, it's true. He is buying BTC. Um, there's no fiction in that, but he had said that he takes the weekends off sort of like he was alluding to the fact that he was not going to be buying, you know, this could all just be kind of a game, right? He could have, a lot of this is, is again, not likely being purchased right in front of us. Um, but Nevertheless, if, if they are looking to, right, let's just say that they have, you know, they definitely have $1.1 billion worth of BTC right now. Their original goal was 1.5. So that's another $400 million worth of BTC to purchase. Um, and they said now they want to, I think they extended that from 1.5 to 3 to $10 billion worth of BTC. Now, if it was only just 1.5 and they bought another 400 you know 400 million dollars worth of BTC um you know that that should have some level of market impact you know I know high stakes capital recently said that you know buying two billion dollars worth of BTC doesn't have you know doesn't lead to market impact it's that's not the case when you're when enough eyes are on sort of looking at flow and and looking for the signs of you know the footprint of a TWAP uh the market hops on behind that and builds up momentum and then you're your market makers, your liquidity providers, they don't like to provide liquidity in those conditions, so they step out of the way. So it ends up creating a significant amount of market impact. And if Doquan was to, you know, hypothetically speaking, wake up Monday morning, right, or the beginning of Asian session or the beginning of the week, because um, we've seen a good amount of buying in the Asian session, if he was to wake up at this level and then start the TWAP, then absolutely we would see Bitcoin, you know, cascade through this level, like no no questions asked. So that is something that I'm, um, you know, pretty certain about that it would lead to a significant amount of, of market impact. The thing about that is, like I mentioned, it's not that's not an efficient means of execution, right? Because you are eating transaction costs. You know, he might not be eating fee related transaction costs, but he's eating you know, cost of jumping the spread and using a TWAP, which is, again, it's using a market order, right, in increments and in smaller increments broken up and sort of hitting every, you know, it could be every five seconds, it could be every five minutes, whatever it's programmed to do. Or it could be dynamic where, you know, again, it probably is dynamic where it responds to changes in liquidity. You know, you don't want to be buying when the offer isn't replenishing. Obviously, you want to take whatever is provided. All right, so I talked again, but I don't want to talk over anyone's opportunity to hop on here, ask questions. So please be my guest. I'll go quiet for a second. All right. Crypto Aussie. What's up, man? Make next caller. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Ryan, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Um, yeah, thanks for the work you do. It's um, very helpful. Um, Question on, so all this Duke one stuff, obviously it, it's serious. Uh, he's, he's um, you know, 
he's a billionaire with an ego as well, like all billionaires, uh, which is fine. Uh, I guess from a, if you look at the market right now, and not just the crypto market, the overall you know economy, the market, you know, there's there's still a lot of uh, fear about the end of the year. What's gonna you know what's gonna follow through? Things with Russia can still happen, but the economy in general, to me, is still you know it's not looking good. Um, so if somebody's, I mean, I, I don't doubt the intelligence of these guys, far more intelligent than I am, but if these guys are say pushing up the market you know it's it's in his interest i guess you know luna and ust and the the entire crypto market to be you know back in a bull run per se but wouldn't the rest of the market and the market makers and the the other billionaires out there the billionaires who don't have egos and who are silent and who are literally in the crypto market to make money and to preserve wealth isn't there still a huge danger that even if he pumps us up into, you know, whatever, 47 and we cascade through to 52, isn't there from a, and I'm, I guess I'm not talking about the next week or two, but a massive potential for that just to completely turn. I guess I, 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 I've come from more of a long-term investor than I've sort of moved into swing trading. And now because of the way the market is, it's, I don't feel very secure in holding. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm still trying to, or I still look at everything with a, a, a kind of more of a macro, bigger picture view. And the way I view the overall world market right now is pretty bad. Um, it's very, um, you know, you can have a white swan event, but it can be followed by two black swan events as we've seen the last few months. And it doesn't feel like those have gone. So isn't somebody like Duquan, I don't know. It just, just feels like it, it's an ego thing, but. You can't manipulate a market to turn a market into a bull market, or can you? I, I, I mean, I'm trying to get trying to get your opinion on that side because I know you're you're a day trader. Uh, you know markets better than most people here. Um, you've been in these markets and you've been in tradfi. You've you've obviously seen whatever we want to call this manipulation in a in a grander scale in a out in the public saying that I'm 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 going to drive the market up, but I. I yeah, it's the part that keeps me on the fence all the time is the whole reality that I, I don't see the next year or two in global markets, in the overall economy, for the people, uh, very good. So I, I, I guess as a relatively new uh, investor slash trader, I find it difficult to let that go and just focus on the market in the shorter term because I, I, it doesn't matter what the Fed says, what Powell says what Biden doesn't say because he's sleeping all the time. Um, it just feels like we're we're not in a very good state of economy. It's probably whatever happens seems to be traders saying, hey, we want to make money before we drop into a massive recession. Um, yeah, just, just kind of interested to hear your, more your take on the macro, I guess, and how the activities of people like Quan play into that. Because if we go up, couldn't we very quickly with one simple event like following from the last few months, go straight back down, and that would not be in his interest. If if there is a yeah. twenty thousand, if there's a twenty five k Bitcoin on the table, why the fuck would Quan be doing what he's doing right now? Yeah, excuse my. No, French. that's why I, I think it. So, uh, I mean, my my initial like the first thing that I went to 
um, mentally when I think about this is my initial fear, if there was a fear, is that he represents sort of like a systematic risk to the market, right? Because, you know, he is buying all this BTC. So that makes him, you know, that makes him potentially one of the larger sellers in the market at that point, right? He's like, yeah. baked in as a potential <laughs> I was thinking seller. about that. What happens if he charges you know, the if, so, yeah. if, if the Luna peg, if the USD peg was to, to break, if anything was to happen on that end, you could imagine that the first, the first liquidity that would be sought would be the most stable on their reserve, which would be, you know, you know, stable coins and then very, you know, very liquid BTC. So there's a potential for that. That, that represents obviously systematic risk. Um, you know, these things could be handled again um, delicately, uh, where you know there would ultimately counterparties would be sought, or it would you know it would lead to a period of, of price suppression just for the short term. Um, you know, obviously he wouldn't be just like dumping it on the market. Ideally, he wouldn't be, but it does represent you know. When, when a buyer has bought, they represent a future seller, right? So there, there's that. And he, he plans on buying a lot more Bitcoin. So, you know, what it is now is not that significant. But if he gets to the, the level that he talks about, $10 billion worth of BTC, then yeah, that, that, is, that is very significant. There are, there are whales that obviously have a lot more Bitcoin than that, right? But they don't even, they're like well beyond the idea of selling. Um, you know, at this point, it wouldn't, you know, for someone who is worth like $20 billion, it's not going to really improve their life to, you know, to save losing five billion if the market turns down. Like they've whales have not had a problem with obviously enduring market swings the same way that retail does. Um, but it's different, obviously, when you're someone like Doquan that is not just like buying BTC, putting it in a cold wallet, and you know, kind of fucking off. He he's tying it into to Luna and USD. So there is that, right? <clears throat> um, but I mean, yeah, technically, could one person get the market started? Uh, yeah, I mean, not for nothing, Bitcoin is, it is that kind of asset because it is a fixed and low float asset, right? So fixed supply, low float, you know, it's only 21 million, right? That, you know, it's only 21 million Bitcoin, you know, there's only, there's a lot less than that on exchanges. So yeah, technically in a low float asset, it's, you know, you know, theoretically it's easier to do that in this asset class, in this asset than it is in, in any other asset. Um, so as far as like the macro goes, you know, so I think that, you know, ideally, so this has kind of like come up thinking about like, Hey, why does he want to like execute poorly? Right. I don't think he's executing poorly. And, and again, I, I mentioned it earlier, like maybe the first execution to kind of like shock and awe and get everyone excited, but he's not going to be just kind of hitting the market buy button for 125 million. Right. This is being sort of delicately handled by jump. But to a degree, you have to imagine that like he wants it to have market impact. And that's sort of like maybe a marketing cost that he's willing to, you know, he's willing to to endure, right? Buying at market, you know, using a TWAP, not getting it perfectly executed through OTC, you know, willing to sort of willing to, um, you know, to bear that cost because of what it ultimately does for UST, right? Um, or Terra in general, right? So, so many people right now um, you know, they want UST to be multi-collateral stable points, right? So, so many people right now are now more aware of UST. They're, you know, they're more aware, uh, they're more aware of Luna. Um, I, I don't really necessarily like, like the, 
I think that when someone does this, it applies like they're a certain type of person. But like you said earlier, like a billionaire with an ego, like those two things are just synonymous. Um, So, yeah, that kind of like that sits semi uncomfortably. But, you know, the market is kind of rallying around this. And it's not honestly, it's not a bad time for it to happen. Like you said, you know, one equities are, you know, the, the Fed is, you know, regardless of the amount of rates that they, the rate, the amount of rates, um, rate hikes that they want to, um, you know, that they want to throw at the market, the market is definitely pricing them in as if it's already happened, right? So they're jawboning the shit out of, um, out of the, the bond market. Uh, not, not to say though, that if they, they do anything that is sort of out of expectations that the market won't respond negatively. But so far, the market has been climbing, you know, this quote unquote wall of worry. Um, and this is something that always happens during every single bear market period. It, it always feels like it should go a lot lower and it always feels like it hasn't gone high enough to kind of prove itself yet. Uh, and then you realize like, oh, that's why it's really hard to beat the market, right? Because shit, I just sold the lows, right? I bought the highs, I'm buying higher again, I'm selling lower again. <laughs> Um, so it is not, obviously it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult pursuit for, you know, for one of many reasons, this is, this is one of, as far as like the economy goes, like there is a, you know, what we've seen for a long time is that, I mean, unless you're like Stanley Druckenmiller likes to say, like you find the economy in the center of the market. Um, but the, the economy and the market are not like they're, they're not moving lock and step because markets are forward looking. So it's always a matter of like how far out does the market want to, you know, how far out is the market looking, right, for, with current prices? Um, and it's, for that reason, it's kind of like you could always say that optimism is going to lead to assets being bought up because the future is always going to be perceived as brighter. Further out, the further out you go, it's always like, it's sort of an underlying principle that things will get better. So that's why there's always like this sort of, no matter, you know, you could drop maybe five, 10%, and it's like, okay, that's, that's, that's a big, you know, it's a big drop, but not everyone's getting involved there. But when you start taking equities down, you know, further than that, there's always a buyer who's willing to buy today for, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years, right? So, you know, your warm Buffett's, your, your long only asset managers, value buyers who just look at everything as like a discount. Uh, and with crypto, I think it's different because, you know, with Apple, with Google, with Amazon, it's kind of like they, they haven't ran their course for their potential, right? But they've definitely, I think, run more of their course than, you know, it's possible that you could say that a few cryptos um, versus some versus a lot of equities are not even close to their potential, right? Whereas it's probably the case that, like, you know, Amazon has a lot for I'm sure Amazon has a lot higher prices in it. Apple does. But it's not the same rate of growth that is potentially within the crypto market at this point. And you're seeing now that legacy incumbents have completely pivoted their approach to crypto. Like Goldman Sachs homepage is devoted to crypto. And this is not like, a, you know, like some people on Twitter are like, oh, they're, this is psyops. This is like them. Like they want to sell their bags to you. And it's like, no, this is them getting behind the asset class now. Um, and this means this doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's going to help your scalp for tomorrow, but it does mean that it's going to help your investment for the next five years. Right, because these are these are the kind of participants that we ultimately were waiting for to come into this market. So with crypto, there it, it's a again, it's a 13, 12, whatever what is it, 12, 13 year old asset class now. There's a lot more ahead of it than obviously is in the past. 
Um, so yeah, there is, I think, a sense of urgency, right, because of that, to get involved and to buy it. Whether and one thing you have to remember is if you're an asset manager, right? If you have a high time frame view, a real one, not like a crypto trader high time frame view, <laughs> where it's like a year is a tr is an investment. That's that's not, you know, in in legacy, it's, in legacy people don't even really, I mean, unless you're a trader, they're, they're looking at like one week charts as your low time frame chart, and then it's like a monthly chart, a three month chart, you know, a yearly chart. Um, if you're looking at things that way and you're and you're and you're looking at crypto and pricing it relative to the gold market right to the addressable market potentially just based on that um, then buying bitcoin at 45 or buying it at 30k is a rounding error in your 20 to you know 10 to 20 year thesis right um, and you can't really afford to sort of let pitches go by when you're at the plate because there might be someone else who's willing to buy at these prices. So there's the, there's obviously the game theory aspect of it, but yeah, I do, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think it's always good to remind ourselves that like we're still in, in a range, right? So the market is still, even if it breaks above 45, like I, I'm still looking at 50, 52. Um, you know, there are people that are, it's, it's easy to get sort of on, you're on Twitter and you're, you know, you get captivated by your surroundings and start thinking about the all-time high again. It's like, okay, well, to go to the all-time high, we have to get to 52 either way. So, you know, we'll split and reevaluate when we get there and see whether we want to manage a position, whether we want to take it off. You don't just think outside of those levels. If we're above the all-time high, that's a completely different story. But the idea of, you know, the purpose of mentioning that is we could go to 50, right? And we could go to 55 and then we could come back down to 45. And this could be another year-long worth of sideways activity on the high time frame, um, and if you zoomed out enough, you could say that that is, uh, you know, a high time that would look like a high time frame accumulation for some, you know, for example, gold gone through similar structures. Um, so crypto is very much in a secular bull market since the beginning, uh, but obviously we have these, you know, cycles, you know, within it. They're seemingly speeding up. I think that's it's definitely the case. Um, because it just makes sense that that's the case. You know, this is the first time you, you, you might've been able to say that history was really important to reflect back on with regards to cycles. Um, if we are talking about history that already accounted for legacy, larger participants. So five years from now, we'll be able to look at these cycles and probably extrapolate more reasonably than we could look back now at older cycles and try to extrapolate forward because if we go back to previous cycles now and try to extrapolate based on that, we're leaving out the kind of buyer that is coming to the market right now. Um, so that kind of got all over. So hopefully that answered the uh, majority of your question. But you hopped off for a second. I don't know. Do you want me to? You want to hop back on real quick? I'm just going to make you the caller again, Aussie, just to make sure that that was um, comprehensive enough. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, was that? Yeah, was that... no, no, I, I, di I didn't mean to uh, hop off. I, I just uh, tapped the wrong um, wrong thing on the phone. No, that, that pretty much answers it. I think uh, it's, it's something that I carry with me coming into trading. Um, I'm always thinking not so much about the markets. I, I guess the, the, the global economy and the markets aren't necessarily in sync. And right. everybody in the markets wants to make money whether they're buying or selling. 
And I think that's just uh, something that I have to get through my head because I find myself as we're going back up, um, you know, trying to um, spend less time in Twitter just because it, it becomes rather toxic. You, you, you create a, um, an idea in your head that, okay, the market's turning and then you see all the, you know, negative talk and I can see you guys getting frustrated with the negative talk on your timelines. Um, and I think that's something personally, I just need to get rid of. I need to stop thinking so much about, okay, the world's not looking great. I'm not too happy how the economy is looking. Uh, that means the, the markets and crypto are going to go down. Um, yeah. But, and uh, as, as someone, if you're newer to trading and, and newer to markets, like you're maybe not newer, but maybe you had and you invested, but you never paid as much attention. Um, the market doesn't work necessarily like it seems like it should, where one plus one equals one. In markets, it's like one plus one equals four sometimes, one plus one equals three sometimes. It, it's, it almost is like you should prepare yourself when you're getting more active in markets, um, you have to understand that things are going to seem like they don't make sense. Like they, it's not gonna add up. Like if you'll have times when, you know, I, I think the best example is, is recent because COVID was a really good example. I mean, yeah, the Fed was injecting liquidity, but if you're someone who's kind of new to markets, it's still, it's kind of like, wait, how can this happen? You know, aren't markets a function of the economy? Like stores are suffering right now. How are, mm -hmm. how are stocks ripping? Like this doesn't make any sense. And how is the S&P, which is the, you know, basically the, the, you know, entire representation of the market um, or the best benchmark, obviously, how is that doing well in the face of all this calamity? And it's not, you know, the one thing is just, it's not going to make sense, right? That's where the, the sentence, you know, the market can remain irrational longer than you can re remain solvent, right? It's kind of like, it, it's, it's kind of a clown world sometimes. And, you know, that's, that's just something that you, that you, I think you come to learn over time. Um, but then it makes you kind of weird because it makes you like, it, it I, I don't know, it makes you a bit more contrarian and a bit more, it, it, it I don't know, it just doesn't follow like any kind of logical format sometimes. Um, I think, I think, it, that, I think that's the problem, Ryan, for me, because I, my, my background, we've spoken before, I was a management consultant for many years, uh, 15, 20 years, actually. Um, and came from a strategy space and everything in, in that space is about logic and how to, in, in some capacity, manipulate a market, but it's, things are logical and any idea that you make or any plan that you make are logical. And then you come to a market and it's why the, you know, so many people kind of say, oh, it's all manipulated. It's all politicians because they see the, the S and P up. And Biden standing up and going, our economy's booming. Here's the statistics to show it. But the rest of the world, like as in non-traders, non-investors, the normal people, the 99% of the population are sitting there going, oh, it's a complete, you know, it's, it's fraudulent because the economy's fucked and I can't afford to pay off my rent and, you know, all these types of things. And I guess right. I just need to, I need to get that out of my head that the markets aren't really the people. <laughs> right, they're, right, exactly. They're, it's they're the money makers and they're the, the ones who are, yeah. So I, yeah, no, I, your answer is pretty solid. Um, I guess I just need to step back and try not to let the macro per se, I mean, keep it in mind, but not let that make my decisions on a daily basis. And yeah. 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 It's, it's the truth. 
So it is. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Have a good rest of the weekend. You too. All right, Max. Hey, what's going on, Max? Can you hear me? Yes, yes, sir. Can you hear me? Hey, what's going on? Hey, um, just wanted to say I uh, really valuable the space you provide here um, and all the information okay. you provide. It's uh, it's re- it's very valuable, and uh, without any of that toxic toxic uh, fluff that we see in the crypto space. But I appreciate. That. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyways, uh, my question was, well, you and Crypto Aussie kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, there's these, uh, there's like a bunch of these different narratives that control the space, which is like, you know, the old world, like, quote unquote, old world world thinking of Bitcoin has a four year cycle, and it has to do these things based upon all these, all these previous moves. And then there's, I feel like a newer narrative happening with investment from serious players coming into the space, um, you know, how much, how much of the, how many of the, of the market participants do you think actually have an unbiased perspective and what's, um, what are some things that you, you, you do to, to keep yourself from having an unbiased perspective as well? You mean like an unbiased perspective to, to like, like are able to be ignorant to the, to the idea of cycles needing to be the same? Right, exactly. Like, um, or, or number has to go up because all these people are buying in. Well, I mean, when you have all these people buying in, then yeah, you're, it's kind of a, it is kind of a logical conclusion that number should go up. I mean, again, just because this is a, this is a young asset class that people are, you know, it doesn't have, it barely has any penetration compared to any other, you know, compared to stocks, compared to commodities, even like the people, the people that we want that are coming into the market right now, just to give you an idea, like they are just going to be box checking with crypto. Like you and I, we could be immersed in crypto all day. It's been our life for years. You know, we, we eat it, we breathe it, we sleep it. Um, And it's everything to us, but it's going to be for your asset managers when they're again, regulation needs to actually increase so that they're more comfortable because not everyone is, is in yet because of that reason. But for them, it's just going to be a box that they check and Hey, I'm a $10 billion fund. My, my, you know, my mandate now is that we maintain 1% exposure to crypto, whatever that means, what particular crypto, you know, um, we have to maintain that. So go out into the open market and, and pick that up. Right. Uh, that, that kind of exposure coming from like those legacy participants, it would, it is going to have a, it it will lead to um, a positive drift in prices. Like no, no doubt. Like no matter if they were able to come in right tomorrow. um, Yeah. You could say with a, you know, near certainty that prices would be higher a year from now. Um, Because again, it's not to them. They don't have feelings. It's just a, it's a box that they check and they, and they might rebalance. They might be more, they might be fast money that are more aggressive and, and, you know, they might be a little bit more concentrated, but either way, it's, if it's that kind of participant, it's, there's not as many feelings involved. It's just own crypto, have it on the balance sheet, right? Maybe rebalance, right? But the point is they are box checking and they have a lot of money, right? So again, crypto barely has any penetration um, with, you know, relative to other asset classes in terms of the financial markets. So, 
as far as like the four-year cycles thing goes i mean i think that everyone who everyone who does well and who's playing as well they they know that that's not necessarily a case that you could really bet on with a high degree of certainty it just it doesn't really make much sense like and i've said this before and what doesn't make much sense is that the cycles would be exactly the same um <clears throat> what i've said before is that even with regard to trading like if you're trading and you're a higher frequency trader, you know, you're, um, you know, you are gathering data for strategies and, and different edges, you can't really go back to information, uh, not information, to data that's really old at this point, because if you go back to like 2016, 2017, 18, even 19, um, and you're even taking that tick data, you're leaving out like, uh, you're leaving out a major participant that has only come in in the last two years. We have, mm -hmm. you know, we have market makers that are previously making markets in equities that are applying their methods in crypto now for the last year and a half that, you know, maybe there were some of them from legacy markets previously, but their presence was, you know, they, it was, it was barely, they, they were barely here. Right. So what that's done. And, and just to get to the point of that is, the lower time frame price behavior has been distorted, not extremely, but it, it's been distorted due to their presence alone, right? Due to their market making presence. Like, you know, if you're trading the S&P, you're trading the ES, the NASDAQ, it's different than trading the, it was different for the longest time, very different than trading BTC. Now it's like slightly, it's not the, it's not the same, but it's, it's becoming similar, right? And especially with the correlation, but if you go back, you completely leave out the presence of this participant. So that is just like for trading alone, but the presence of this participant means that it's another buyer just here that again has, that is less um, less time sensitive and less price sensitive. So they're lower time preference and less um, less price sensitive. So that alone just implies that, you know, cycles, you know, if you have more, to oversimplify it, honestly, if you have a larger pool of buyers that are now looking to get involved in something um, that already has a significant amount of supply tied up in people and in trade, you know, in uh, whales and exchanges that have no plans on really unwinding any of that, then yeah, it just becomes, it's a race, you know, to, and it, it sounds kind of silly to say this because this is not something that affects the price, you know, in the next week, in the next month, in some case, you know, in the next year, in some cases, but yeah, this does mean that over the longer time frame, things absolutely you know have changed. You know, you cut it, probably cut the market from like 2000, and you could probably slice the market from from March 2020 and say that this time is different moving forward from there. Now, of course, it's what? a you know, it's like high beta relation to equities, it's a risk asset, but in terms of the people that are involved, you have a you have a completely different depth of participants now that have come into the market. So yeah, I think that that means that cycles won't be the same because cycles, market structure, fractals, all that stuff, um, yeah. price action, it's all a footprint of the underlying people that are buying and selling, right? So if you have a more aggressive slew of buyers now um, that are looking to accumulate the long term and that have a higher time frame view, then yeah, you'll see things become dips will be shallower, right? Cycle dips will be shallower. Um, and, and yeah, the cycles will probably speed up. But ultimately what that means is 
the market just is going to honestly probably become more like equity indices. So what that implies is then yeah, cycles speed up, dips maybe we don't get 80% you know drawdowns, but also it's going to smooth out returns over time. The higher right. the price goes, the less volatile it's going to be and it'll probably become more of like this, you know, handicap ramp over a 20 year period the way the S&P is. For sure that makes sense, yeah, and I and I figured too a lot of that just helping with bias is time in the market, like that saying time in the market, as opposed to timing the market. Right. And then, uh, the other, I mean, the other thing too, is like, I just see so many, so much of it on Twitter where people are calling for these crazy moves to happen based on, on, uh, you know, on stuff that happened like, you know, six or seven years ago. And it's one of those things that might be part of my own bias, but it's like, how could you possibly even think that with, like it just kind of blows my mind sometimes that there's as many people that don't see like the new kind of wave that's happening and they they were like kind of stuck in the old like mentality i don't know does that make sense yeah but i mean at the same time like you realize that and then you also in the same vein realize why why 99 percent of people are better off never looking at their brokerage account and never touching something after they buy it you know, yeah. what, what yeah, you're doing exactly. is, you know, you're there's like now this there's this hyper realization of all the emotions that go along with trading and investing, because for most of us, not only are we buying it, we're also spending a lot of our time on social media surrounded by people in an echo chamber that also are buying and selling it. So, right, 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 right. You know, you are surrounded and inundated with examples all day of what a market does to people. Right. How and this is like one of the cooler. This is why some of the best things that you could do. You know, I, I made a list a long time ago that I've just added to. It's not ordered really at all, but it's like all the books that I read with regards to markets and trading. And honestly, the best things you could read one. Yeah. Read on history. That's always important. But two books on behavioral psychology, because I mean, nothing shows you the 100%. extremes, you know, like a market does. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, spot on. Cool, man. Yeah. Thank you for that. Good answer. Uh, just, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks Love a lot, man. Awesome, man. Nice talking to you. All right. You too. Later. Ethan, what's up, buddy? Hey, Ryan. How's it going? How you doing, bud? Good, good. I actually, um, I'm pretty much just calling in just to kind of address some things that you talked about with the uh, the first caller. Um, so I took a few notes, um, but I guess a few things came to mind. The first one was you guys talked about like, um, you know, can one player move a market, I guess. And it kind of reminds me of back in July um, of when like Alameda mentioned that they were buying. Oh, and yeah. I just, for some reason, I just remembered that. And I'm like, it seemed like after that, you know, it, the market just started going the other direction. Um, so that was just kind of one thing where I guess, you know, Bitfinex or, you know, um, Zoo or whatever his name is, he's been talking about how this is the bottom, um, trying to create a bottom. So I guess it, it I guess what, what's kind of going on now is it kind of just reminds me of, you know, how Sailor T-Wops, um, into position and so the market goes up and lets it go up and then after he's completed his buys 
you know, the market just dumps right after. So that kind of goes with his, like the first caller's, you know, overall opinion of the macro view where, you know, this is just a temporary bounce. Um, and, you know, we could be going up and we could cascade uh, upwards. And then, you know, once that's done buying, you know, we just go down. And um, I guess it kind of fits with how I think like a week or two ago you were talking about you were 90% sure that we were going to swipe the ETH, like the lows on Ethereum. Um, yeah. So I guess how I'm looking at things right now is, to be honest, like I went back, um, you know, if you look at like a monthly view on Bitcoin and Ethereum, we have an inside setup, uh, almost a two bar inside setup on at least Ethereum. Um, and I'm, you know, just focusing on Ethereum just because it has more meat on the bones. But um like I actually went back and looked at like historical um, like data sets of what inside bars have looked like specifically just on ETH just to see the past performance. And I actually tweeted this out, so I'm not sure if you saw it, but um, like as, since like late September, October of 2015, there's been eight times where ETH has had an inside setup uh, on like a monthly time frame, and all you know 100% of the time it's worked out where once it's broken up or down, it's actually completed the entire move. Um, and so, oh, good to know. yeah, so seven of the eight times it actually broke upwards and it took an average of seven and a half days to reach the target. So it's literally within a week where it reaches the target. Um, and the average gain on this was 16.5%. So, just kind of some data because you know it's so easy to get washed up on you know the narrative of this TWAP or what's going on um and so just objectively looking at it it's like if it breaks up or down i'm not going to fade it um and so it pretty much sets up with like what's going on right now and so for like that first caller if he's you know worried about getting in position on like which way we're going to go and you know agree or disagree with me, you know, but how I'm playing it specifically on Ethereum is if we break, you know, 3280, which is the first bar on that inside setup, I'm going to be targeting 3900, you know, just plain and simple. And that kind of goes with the price action that we saw in July when it broke out of that consolidation and just like did just basically a one-way trip up. So, um, you know, if he's kind of if anyone, I guess, is listening and is a little hesitant on what's going on, I guess that's just objectively data set wise. That's how I'm kind of playing it. Um, and, you know, if this month closes where we're at, that just creates another inside bar. So you can get in, you know, a little bit earlier than the 3280. So I I don't know if you had thoughts on that or agree or disagree. No, yeah, that's that's a, that's a, that's a perfect setup because what that ends up encapsulating in both ETH and BTC and just for anyone listening who's not familiar with the inside setup, like on the low timeframes too, inside setups have a like an amazing hit rate, right? So, you know, if you're if it's a daily inside bar setup or if it's a weekly inside bar setup or talking about a monthly right now, they are things that ultimately, you know, they're they're signifying and the further out you go, obviously, the more it implies signifying a change, obviously, in balance. Um, so the ETH and BTC inside month setups right now, they're, they, they're basically perfectly, um, they're at the range high and range low of what we've been in for the last quarter. So 
if you look at what we've been in for the last quarter, the market has been in balance. Um, so any kind of acceptance and change in that is definitely, at least for the first leg, like the rule is you never fade the first leg. Um, so you would expect a significant expansion for both of those. So there makes, you know, I am at the end of the day, and this is what, this is what happens when the markets are ranging, by the way, you when the market is not doing a lot, you have a system, right, that you abide by, but then you end up looking, you're like trying to turn over stones and see, hey, like what kind, what am I missing that maybe can give me an edge to get in slightly earlier than where my two triggers are. Um, so when the, the longer the market is ranging, the more, you know, hypotheticals come up, the more you start sort of digging under the surface, looking for, you know, that one thing that you're missing that's, you know, it never really necessarily a good idea because that leads to style drift. And then you end up getting in positions that are just, they're not, you know, they're outside of your normal approach. Um, but both of the setups for ETH and BTC are, in my opinion, great ways to get behind the trade. And, you know, I've said, I, I've said while we are in the range a couple of times, like this is a, it's a range. So there's really no, the benefit of this range is I, not that I said this is a range because it's obviously a range. I've said that this is a very clean range. So the benefit of like a very clean range is, you know, the levels of change that really stand out. The problem with that is they stand out to everybody, right? So when you have levels that are really obvious, like you get the levels are not really comfortable to get involved around if you're trading like a ton of size, but most people honestly can buy the breakout, uh, you know, off of a multi-month range with confidence. Like you get a day or a daily close through it, like just buy the daily close, go piss off for like a week and a half and prices will probably 80% of the time be higher if it breaks to the upside, you know, 80% of the time probably be lower if it breaks to the downside. Um, because you're, you're going to expect that after that period of time, the price will have legs for at least more than a week. <clears throat> um, so or we, I think you said somewhere along the lines of seven days. So it, the benefit of, of, of crypto is that it's young enough to where you could back test um, pretty quickly with a lot of these sort of um, price action generated uh, strategies. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a completely sound approach. You know, I, that, that is my, one of the areas that I'm looking to get really involved with when it comes to futures, right? I'm already positioned spot. Uh, I started adding, I was talking about adding to a spot position down around 40 uh, when we finally broke out of that like multi-day complete lack of volatility range that we were within. Uh, but even that, that's kind of, you know, I understand that that's a little iffy because we're at a range high, right? So like I'm choosing to, you know, I de-risked a little bit, I added it back on, like, but it's doing, you know, that's an example. It's like, it's doing to me what it's probably doing to a lot of people. Um, but the the break of the monthly high is the is the break of the range high. The break of the monthly low is the break of the range low. So it, yeah, it's, it's a very sound, um, approach to lean on. And for that reason, like it, a lot of people are probably better off just when it comes to this, like set an alert, right? Um, you could even set like, you know, it's not something I want to say you should necessarily, everyone should do, but I've set, you know, conditional breakout orders to the high and to the low, right? For structures like this, you know, if in, in case that you're, you know, not, um, by the computer, you don't want to monitor things, you know, setting a conditional market buy order uh, with a with a trailing stop. Because again, price rips through this high, for example, there's a really good chance it'll probably move like $500 in a very short amount of time, right? At a minimum. Um, 
So being able to get behind that move and then having let let's say uh, seven hundred you know seven hundred dollar five hundred dollar trailing stop uh, is not necessarily a um, a bad idea because it gives it a little bit of breathing room that price might need. If it's a true breakout, it's going to have like that little bit of stuttering in, in the initial move, um, but at the same time, you know, uh, allows you to get involved in a pretty um, high probability uh, expansion at that point. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Like, like you were saying, it's you know, if you break the monthly high, it's um, it's a break in market structure on both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, I guess you pretty much already have almost done that, um, but but yeah, it's on a higher time frame. It's a break in market structure, and it's a pretty clean setup. And I mean, just for the first caller, you know, it's you know the narratives and all this and that. If you just break it down into numbers, you know. 100% success rate is worth giving at least a punt on if it's going to move, you know, 16% in seven days. So right. just by two cents. And I mean, I'm exactly doing the same thing where I'm actually not in a position right now. I'm actually just waiting for that break with either up or down. And once it breaks it, I'm just going to enter there and not look for the next couple of days. So um, yeah, with that, you know, just glad you're kind of on the same page. So I'll uh, let the next person hop in then. Thank you. Awesome, man. Thanks for calling, Ethan. Uh, guys, by the way, uh, where did where'd the Colin go? I just realized, I didn't realize now, because um, Colin has made some modifications. So this will actually, I'll figure this out. But these will also be on Spotify and iTunes, uh, which is nice. And right now we have BTC that looks like a possible fake out to the upside. There's really significant amount of volume that's trapped in at the highs. Uh, in the pullback around 44.5, we had what looked temporarily like a little bit of trap volume, but now we're below all that. Uh, and someone had mentioned, here we go, getting a little slippery. Um, someone had mentioned, I didn't realize that there was like a little chat. So on uh on your app, you could see that some people have asked questions. I didn't realize that those questions were there, so my apologies. So I'm just gonna go through these really quickly and I'll take the next caller. So one side, we've got Dovi and BTC. The other side is a high chance of 50 point raise. Next FOMC, who's wins? I think that, yeah, you could basically say that the 50 point raise is, is more than likely in the cards. Um, but again, the market is doing a really good job of already sort of pricing, at least the, the bond market is doing a really good job of, of sort of marking and accounting for that. Um, but the thing that really matters is honestly, it is, uh, the pace of raises and if anything is outside of what the market is already expecting. And if, and the one thing that the Fed has been doing, and it's kind of done this twice, I think this is pretty abnormal. The first time when Powell said, basically said in February during a meeting that we were going to get a 25 point raise. So that was a first, like he's never, I don't think he's ever really spilled the beans like that before. I think that, and and again, more recently, them saying, you know, that basically nodding to the fact that we are going to get a 50-point raise coming up next. So I think that might be one way that they're trying to sort of dampen volatility, um, get the market prepared for this, and allow it to price it in a little bit less abruptly. Uh, that's just my take on it, but um, I'm not necessarily concerned about the 50-point raise. Um, look at the footprint. So someone was probably seeing what I was just talking about. Um, how do you see derivatives lifting spot? Um, really, you're just looking to see what the basis is between both of those prices. So I look at the prices, the price differences between, for example, Binance 
uh, Binance perps, Coinbase spot, FTX perps, Coinbase spot, right? Both of those markets also have their own spot markets. Um, you know, when you have perps that are trading at a premium consistently over time, it's not necessarily a good sign. Uh, the, a more bullish sign is obviously if spot is doing most of the buying and perps are selling off a little bit more. So um, it's been, uh, it's been, it ha we haven't seen that really the derivatives market has overheated, which is a good thing. Um, and what else? And one more question we have. Hold on one sec. I'm trying to shuffle some stuff around on my computer. Um, all right. Uh, do you invest for the longer term? Um, so yeah, just really quickly to like go over my approach because I, I know there's a lot of different language I use and I talk about different timeframes on uh, on Twitter. So I have yeah, I am a long-term BTC investor. Um, I don't. And I try to distinguish this time to time so that uh, it's clear. I have my BTC cold storage that I've only touched like one time in the last seven years. Uh, and that was I that was last that was right around last May. Um, and I have added to that over time. You know, I talked about a couple months back. I started saying like I, I need to start getting more aggressive, like just adding to this. Uh, because it's easier to sell something when it's on an exchange and ultimately yeah i do have i have a five to ten year sort of belief in btc and i've said i've said it a couple times like the bitcoin that i have in my cold storage and you know for the long term i i try to tell myself that that is you know my that's my future children's bitcoin right it's the best way i could put it not to spoil them but you get the idea right um so um, yes a very long-term view in it and i don't want to that is that is um that is not just like a hardware wallet, that's multi-sig, and that is spread out geographically, and that really helps me not be able to sell that. Now, not for nothing, I've endured incredible portfolio swings in with that exposure. Um, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but I'm gonna say that that has made me have a more ironclad stomach than probably legacy participants. Uh, but when it comes to my trading too, like some people have called me a scalper, I've also used the term scalp before. A lot of it is really, it's like, what, the, when I say scalp, I'm just talking about lower time frame trading. I'm primarily an intraday trader. 90% of my trading is intraday, unless we are in a rip roaring bull market where new market structure change has occurred, right? So we haven't had that. We've been within a range. When we're in ranging conditions in a high time frame, and I know the levels that are above and below us, and we're not in pure trending conditions, right? No, you know, new change in market structure and price discovery taking place. Uh, I, I do like to go to bed um, flat. Um, needless to say, there's plenty of times when I've gone to bed on positions, right? But I just, I, I like to trade in and out of positions. My time frame can be, if we are in the middle of, you know, uh, highly kinetic period and we're liquidating either side, then yeah, I could be scalping the very low time frames. I could be, you know, trading a volume-based tick chart. For the most part, my average position, you know, depending on it's went from like 45 minutes to two hours. I'm anywhere from an hour to I want to say an hour to a week. Um, that's the window I operate within. It it all depends on, you know, if if there's a particular setup that's worth taking advantage of. These kind of conditions I don't like to trade that often. I like to pick my shots and only take the really high probability setups that I am familiar with taking. Um, but the the basis for my trades on the low and the high time frame sort of involve 
they revolve around the same um, idea and approach. And that's with regard to sort of one side of the market being poorly positioned. Um, but I'm, a, I'm kind of a generalist, right? I, I'm kind of a generalist. I have sort of a multidisciplinary approach to the market. Um, my focus is on order flow and I use you know, a bunch of different tools to, to uh, observe the market. Um, all right, so next caller real quick. Someone else wanted to hop on, test. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Can you hear me? There we go. I think I got it. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for running these. It's really nice to listen in. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about what the last question in the in the text was asking about. Um, lots of people talk about uh, individual trades or the market conditions, but people don't talk too much about um, allocation and buckets and that sort of thing. And I'm always curious how you or other people think about total portfolio total total portfolio allocation, like how much to crypto versus legacy, um, how much in crypto is investment versus trade capital. And uh, I, I know that it's quite personal for everyone, but I'm just curious your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So if you asked me a year and a half, no, two years ago now, and then I would tell you that my legacy portfolio would have dwarfed my crypto portfolio. But in the last two years, that is um, taken a complete, done a complete pivot. So I have, I have passive exposure to the equities markets. I do not, I haven't, I, I think I've probably taken five or made five adjustments in the last two years. Um, my approach is, can probably best be, my portfolio construction can probably best be articulated as a barbell approach between cash and crypto. Um, so I, I, I have exposure to the equities market, but most of my exposure is to BTC. Uh, and it's just, it's the way that it's been for the last two years. Um, again, I have, uh, I have a long-term view on BTC that is a five to 10 year time horizon. My intraday trading obviously sort of laughs in the face of that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't try, I'm not like, um, I'm not really dynamic in how I'm structuring my portfolio because I don't have, I don't really have a very diverse portfolio in that sense. I basically own the S&P, own a couple of concentrated tech. I own, I have a little bit more concentration in some tech stocks, uh, but most of my positioning is with regards to um, the crypto market. I don't know if you're still there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, still here. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, do you, I, I'm kind of, I don't even know what, what exactly it would be. I, I'd say I'm somewhere, I mean, roughly roughly thirds, like third crypto, um, maybe even quarters. I mean, uh, it's like crypto, real estate, cash, and equities. And uh, I'm constantly trying to figure out if that's the right balance or not. And it's, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, the one thing that I am... The one thing I'm adding to is real estate. Uh, but aside from that, I'm, I'm very concentrated in crypto. Um, I have a ton of dry powder on the sidelines. My equity portfolio right now is a fraction of my crypto portfolio. Uh, and when I say crypto portfolio, I literally mean, you know, 80% BTC, like 20% a mix of 
ETH and and just some very small caps in there that are, again, it sort of breaks down the same way between ETH and the small caps. Uh, and that changes, that smaller bucket changes too frequently to even take myself seriously. So it's mostly it's mostly just BTC exposure. But one area that I do want to gain more exposure to is real estate. Uh, but it's not, again, my approach is it's not very dynamic. It's more of like my portfolio approach is very similar to um you know, the way I used to manage my equity portfolio is very similar to a, how a CTA would manage their portfolio. Very sort of long-term trend follower type of approach. The alpha that, um, a lot of the alpha that I was looking to generate when I was more heavily in equities was sort of idiosyncratic performance in some, you know, very specific names in the tech sector, but was mostly just kind of leveraged beta. Um, so, you know, basically capturing the index and some. But with crypto and, and the way, just the way things are now, which I think is the most relevant, it's primarily BTC cash, and I'm just looking to add to that real estate. Yeah. On um, now, are you are you hedging that exposure on derivatives? Like when we had our our major, you know, our last two major tops. Are, are you yeah. So whenever I so, with regard, so I have a lot of times when I'm, I I talk about spot BTC, you know. For the most part, I'm talking about my spot that's on exchanges. There's been, you know, the last crash. Uh, more recently, I sold all my spot that was on exchanges at 58. Um, before that, it was in the high 40s. Uh, but then, yeah, during the, the periods where the market is drawn down, if I'm not selling spot, then I'm just hedging and I'm hedging using futures. I, I don't really use options. Uh, I have a I have a Derbit account, but I don't. Uh, I've probably taken a couple options trades in the last two years, but I don't hedge using puts. The the hedging in crypto is better using the futures because they're they're you know, they have uh they have more liquidity. That market is deeper. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I primarily primarily I'll be hedging using futures most of the time. Where I, if I'm not going to be dumping out and getting out of the market, like there were, there was a period after um, after the initial May crash when I got out and I just completely went flat. And this is not including any kind of cold storage BTC because that like by the time it would take me two car trips to even to move that around. Um, but when I got out initially in May, I was purely a USDT denominated trader too. Like most of the time my in my career in crypto, I've been BTC denominated. Like even if... Uh, Regardless of conditions, I would be trading like XBT on uh, BitMEX or you know trading early a, a lot a long time ago trading just primarily uh, coin margin futures. Um, more recently, during the May crash last year, I was like, "Fuck this! I'm going all USDT margin contracts. I don't want any exposure to BTC." And that was probably like one of the only times where I was I was as flat as I could get, um, or as flat as I had ever been in the last again in the last seven years. But you, you wouldn't be hedging the cold storage. You just keep that exposure no matter what. No, I didn't. No, I didn't hedge all of my cold storage at that point. No. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Anyone else? I think we've been going on for just an hour and twenty minutes. So we'll wrap it up if no one else wants to hop on. Um, let's see. So I got some other questions. 
follow up to last caller talking about ETH, 3250 and likelihood of a 16% raise, et cetera. Um, so yeah, a lot of my, yeah, so does this apply to all the majors? Yeah, inside day, inside month, inside week setups are, um, they're really great setups to take across the board and I've been applying them more to alts. So it's actually good of you to ask that because that's been a setup that I've been using a lot more lately in, uh, in my alt trading, which I've become more aggressive um, I've become more aggressive with trading alts, trading rather trading alts, sort of like with the same intraday approach uh, as BTC and ETH, uh, and the setups, the inside day setups. Obviously, you're going to take a lot more inside day setups than inside week or inside month setups, but they've been very reliable. Um, so basically, the same idea uh, applies. It's 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 a period where prices are very balanced, right? So the break of the higher the low uh, implies that that balance is finally unwinding um and and in that case you you know depending on the time frame what you're gonna sort of extrapolate from that in terms of distance is uh you know if it's trading if you're trading the intraday you're a lot of times you're just looking at the prior days higher low depending on local market structure obviously i mean if you're if you're setup is breaking and there's a gap above then you know you could probably extend your target a bit more but the higher time frame setups, they, they mean obviously a lot more. So higher time frame evidence obviously has uh, different implications than you know your lower time frame intra you know intraday sort of inside day setups. Uh, and the inside day setups obviously are best when you have you know um, more you know not only <clears throat> so an inside day is just it's four data points right so four data points inside of another four data points or inside of two data points. But when you could have that in a candle structure, but then also have a situation where the underlying distribution of price has also been very balanced because it might not necessarily have been the case that in the two days that it was a balanced period of price action. It could have been, you know, the transition could have been all over the place. It could have been favoring the lows back up to the highs. It could have been favoring the highs back down to the lows. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to mean that it was very rotational and balanced. So if you have an inside day set up with candles, on the daily, on the weekly, on the monthly, and on the underlying structure also is very balanced. So if you look at a TPO or volume profile, then you have, you know, the most high probability on balance, you know, high probability balance break setup to take advantage of, right? Because you're, you know, you have the very clear triggers that are determined by the high and the low. And then you also have the underlying, you know, you have the um, confidence that the break will lead to a significant move because the underlying has been very balanced. So. Versus like if the underlying days were not that balanced, you know, you might have a, you might be dealing with a structure that's prone to noise and then a move towards a higher, towards a low and taking out the higher, you know, taking out the corresponding higher low might not necessarily lead to any kind of significant expansion. It might just be, you know, just that a wick of the higher or the low that doesn't lead to anything, you know, lead to anything. So. All right, guys, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Um, Oh, Rocket, let me get you on here before I wrap it up. Hey, man, loving the, uh, hey, the alpha. Hey, had a question. Uh, it sounds like you're trading BTC intraday. Given that ETH basically tracks BTC, but with higher gamma, you know, why, why wouldn't you just trade ETH because you'd be getting better percentage returns? Yeah, I trade ETH now as well. I mean, I... For a while, I wasn't trading. A lot of times, I'm trading BTC. Yeah, I was like a very comfortable BTC trader. Uh, and then in the last like year, 
probably less than a year, I've been trading um, ETH almost as equally. Um, because honestly, for a while, it seemed like ETH was trading a bit cleaner than BTC. Uh, and you also mm -hmm. had less of that, on, you know, that lower time frame price action sort of distortion that's become more apparent on BTC. Um, but yeah, I trade both. I probably don't talk about ETH as much. I, you know, if, if we were to look at the data, I don't trade ETH as much as I do BTC, but I do trade both of them. I, I don't like to have too many, the same way I've said like a couple times, I don't like to have too many line items. Like I don't like to manage too many positions. I also don't like to trade too many different pairs. Um, it's, you know, when you're, if you're trading alts that are primarily reflexive and technically driven, it's a bit easier to manage and monitor, you know, monitor them because there's only so many things that really need to be satisfied for, you know, a move to, to work out uh, in my experience. But if I'm trading sort of more nuanced order flow setups on BTC, you know, what you're developing over that time is like an idea for what norms are and um, what levels of volume are significant and stand out and on what exchanges that activity comes in and where it's, what exchanges are not as significant. So doing that across multiple assets obviously just means sort of juggling more. Um, but I've definitely, I've started trading ETH a lot more, you know, up until like a year ago, I was, I was swing trading ETH if we got good setups, even though I knew plenty of order flow traders who honestly were um, trading ETH almost primarily. So, you know, it's like a lot of other things, I guess, where you just get comfortable and kind of stuck in a rut doing what you've always done. Uh, you know that there's like greener pastures, but you're you're an old dude like me. So you're like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've been trading it a lot more in the last year. Yeah, no, I, don't, I totally agree with the thesis that you should find your homies and stick with them um, and uh, get to know them really well. And And then what about peppering in some some leverage on there what's your philosophy on that so when it comes to I, I guess when it comes to my trading period i don't really think i don't really use so when it with leverage there are times when i have just to use the right language there are times when i have increased exposure in the market overall so when my portfolio my total exposure might be levered up multiples like 1.5 or 2x in the middle of the bull run um the leverage I'm using is I use cross and it's just a representation of my overall portfolio and the risk I want to take. So I'm not like, you know, taking 20 X 30 X trades. Um, I'm just kind of just trading the money I have. Uh, and the leverage is, you know, the leverage is being used because it's, I don't have all the money on the exchange or, you know, on different exchanges, I have different amounts of capital and, you know, I'm using leverage to trade based on my off exchange amount uh, and whatever, depending on the capital I have on the exchange, you know, it's going to require a certain amount of leverage to sort of meet the notional position size. But I don't just, uh, the, the leverage is being used in that sense for, you know, counterparty risk and um, capital efficiency. I don't really ever, I mean, there's times when, again, this is like, depends on conditions, but there are times when I swing for the fences and, you know, increase my exposure and my risk if there's a really high probability setup. But we haven't had a, a situation like that um in a while and the situations that honestly are really high probability uh like the highest probability um for outcomes are like the when we have a liquidation cascade in either direction and then we get a big move right a big mean reverting type of move in the, on the low time frames those setups 
if they're on the long side, I don't take them with any kind of futures position period. I just take them with spot. So. And is that because you've tried leverage and you've been burned? I've never been. I, this is going to sound like. Oh, you've never I've, been burned. You should make I've that ne- your Twitter your Twitter statement. <laughs> no, I've, I've never been liquidated. Like I've never been uh, involuntarily liquidated. So to, I guess, explain what well, that means involuntarily. I've never been in a position where I've increased my exposure and been liquidated due to poor risk management. I've used liquidations before as a stop loss. So there are certain times when a trade might be, and this is not, you know, this is probably few and far between, when it might make sense from a cost standpoint to exit via liquidation, because at that point you're not worrying about slippage, um, than to actually have a stop on. But that requires a little bit more math and uh, a little bit more depth than, um, you know, obviously just exiting the position normally. But I've never been, you know, liquidated where I had a, a liquidation email that I wasn't expecting to get. I, I I mean, there are times when, you know, back in, I'm trying to think, um, this, I don't, was this May? Maybe it was, maybe it was a year ago when we had the big crash. Uh, there are times where if you even had base exposure, you would have been liquidated. And we've seen that happen before, right? Where, you know, you, if, if you are using point margin futures, you have a liquidation, uh, and it might be 50% away, but it could still get hit, right? So, I mean, I've never, I've never been in a position where I've really ever worried about that or I've allowed a position to go against me or use any kind of leverage that was um, above and beyond, you know, my normal exposure or rather above and beyond achieving my normal exposure. Right. But if, I mean, if you look at like Perpetuals, which is a really good innovation in crypto, um, you know, there's sites like, this is not an ad, but sites like gmx.io on Arbitron and Avalanche, no KYC, uh, and you can open a position that's like you know up to up to thirty x uh, yeah. for point one percent fee. Like it's it's a pretty good setup. So just you know, just thinking in terms of expected value, where you have these like inside setups where you're like, yeah, these are like eighty percent good. You can cut your downside instantly if it doesn't break your way or isn't doesn't continue to trend. It just strikes me as a little bit interesting that you know you've obviously got great experience and have seen you can see these setups that you've got high confidence in, but you're not layering a little bit of leverage there just to get a larger return. It just seems that the risk reward would be pretty pretty reasonable. No, that's I'm sorry to clarify. That's what I mean by allowing my liquidation to be my stop loss. So there are situations that are higher probability situations where you're willing to take more risk. And yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I've been, like I said, I've never been liquidated where I haven't been using proper risk management and got the liquidation email. And it's like, oh, this is part of the, uh, this is like part of the, the rite of passage in crypto to, to, to fuck up and get liquidated. No, there are absolutely positions where I've swung for the fences, taken more risk than I normally would take because it makes sense to if a setup is higher probability. And rather than placing a stop on you know if i'm if i am levering up and i know that i have wiggle room of you know one to two percent i'm definitely going to be ending that position up and rather than placing a stop like if that position doesn't work out then whatever it's that that's my liquidation but yeah there are setups where and this is where the idea of like risking the same across all trades doesn't make any sense because there are setups where if you have if you've been trading long enough and you know that you have sort of bread and butter 
high probability setups, well then like, why the fuck would you take the same risk on every trade? Right. Why Correct. wouldn't you, why wouldn't you swing harder on the things that you were sort of felt really confident about, you know, where you had, you know, you had utmost confidence rather. So yeah, sorry to, to clarify that. Yes, I absolutely have taken many trades like that. Okay, cool. Thank you. Of course. All right. Uh, so I think that'll wrap it up. I see there's one question I'll, I'll quickly uh, answer. Um, all right. Uh, what makes you think FXS is good? So I don't, so about FXS, I shared um, A. Lee's post about FXS going to 200. Just to be as transparent as possible, like everyone has probably heard me say this so many times. Uh, I'm a technically driven trader. So I, I don't do enough research fundamentally to trick myself into having conviction on things. I paper hand alts. Um, so I obviously one of the things I do is look to smarter people for my conviction there. But even then, I end up paper handing alts probably a lot faster than someone who is like either the far left or the far right of the bell curve. Uh, so I just to be clear about FXS since I recently shared it. Yeah, longer term view of FXS. Can it? reach $200. I mean, that would be a 10x multiple from here. What is a 1 billion, you know, the con the market cap right now is you know, 1 billion. So 20 billion market cap, um, you know, for what this is looking to be, uh, wouldn't be unreasonable, but to be completely honest, like the way that I'm thinking anyway is red ahead of me, right? So for FXS, the way I'm looking at it is $30 seems like the next logical area for price to, uh, to have trouble at. Um, and it's very likely that even if I, you know, sort of I'm riding the confidence of someone who knows more about it, why it deserves to be higher, that I end up, you know, taking profits, splitting and reevaluating based on the levels that uh, the technical levels that I see. Um, so I don't think that just to be clear, I don't think necessarily that I have, you know, enough. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know enough about FXS to to say that it has a $200 target. But my point was. Hey, Lee was talking about FXS going to 200, and I was just saying that that leaves a lot of multiples on the way there. Um, so what that means is that leaves a lot of opportunities to trade on the way there, just to be as clear as possible. Um, all right. So I think that'll wrap it up. Thank you guys for calling in. It's been a pleasure. Um, if you have uh, any other questions, always feel free to message me while my DMs are open, while I can handle the messages because sometimes it gets almost all the time it gets overwhelming um all right i think uh i think that's it i mean i see that yeah there's a there's more questions coming but i'm gonna save this for next time um i didn't realize that these questions were here hopefully this is a new thing and i just didn't realize and this is not me just realizing this for the first time and they've always been here but this is good because in the future uh those dead space periods where i'm like hey all right next caller step up uh there's obviously things that i can address so all right guys thanks for tuning in have a fantastic weekend don't die in the market uh until next time i will share a link and yeah take care